0: Because I remember my friend who, who first gave it to me saying, You can see the exit light, run for it. And I was like, You have no idea how much I don't see an exit line right now. Yeah.
1: That was Dana Keys. I'm Jeff. Welcome to Storied San Francisco, a weekly podcast where San Franciscans from all walks of life share their stories and you get to know your neighbors. Just a quick note Dana shares several stories in this episode that could be triggering. Please be advised. In this podcast, Dana recounts the roller coaster story of her drug addiction. Once, between bouts and stays in rehab, she got a broadcasting degree. Later, she found work as a DJ at various stations around the Bay Area. After many more cycles of addiction and rehab, she emerged sober and started Radio Rehab, a podcast that has been running for more than four years now. Here's Dana.
0: So like I was, I, I came up here and like started doing theater in Marin. Um, I was doing stuff at um, college of Marin. I was having fun. I met a lot of great people, and that slowly turned into me coming into San Francisco every night, getting a fake ID mm-hmm. and partying, and then it, that turned into me going back to down to LA every weekend. Mm. And by that point, it was like my friend came from the East Coast and she brought a bunch of cocaine. Okay. And. We did it, a whole lot of it, to the point where I was just like, I felt so just jacked and we drove down to L.A., we're drinking Zimas the whole way down, hey 90s, okay, and uh, you know, we got down and they were all like snorting more stuff, my friends from college when I got there, and I was like, give me some, and they were like, no, you don't want any of this. I'm like, that's exactly what you say to me if you want me to do it, okay, because now you're giving me some. Yep, the old and taboo trick. And everybody's like, no dude, it's heroin, and I'm like... Mm but it's white powder and they're like yeah it's china white mm-hmm. and i'm like like i said give me some mm-hmm. that was the worst thing i've ever done that was the worst experience of my life i mean it was a great experience but the worst idea i've ever had that's how i've always felt
1: about heroin like i'm sure it's <gasps> a lot do, of yes fun. oh my god but that's the end of your life
0: yes, yes i want like if i could just put my experience in kids brains there would be no opiate pandemic there would be mm. nothing There'd be no, if they could just see like, oh, you think you're going to be different than me? And um, I realized at that moment I could never live without it. And it ate the next, wow well, it became a component in my life for almost 20 years. Wow. Yeah. And I started doing it like that and it was fine. It was very controllable. And then this is when all of my friends quit. Mm-hmm. That guy who was selling us that in LA, because China White's very New York. I uh, got arrested. Mm-hmm. And then you could then we then this then it's a bunch of teenagers going to like the projects not knowing anything about anything and trying to score tar. Mm-hmm. And you know, then after a while smoking tar didn't work. Then I started shooting it. You know, and all my friends stopped at the tar point. Not all of them, but most of them. Mm-hmm. And um I was put in in and out of rehabs like my parents did so much to try to save my life Mm -hmm. and I wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the sad thing. That's why I wish I could take my experience and put it in some kid's heart and in their mind because you can't save
1: them once they start. You can't.
0: Yeah, oh, it's so hard.
1: It's yeah. so hard. And it's so much easier to just again. And when you're use young,
0: you it ruins your whole growing up perspective. Yeah. It's like if you try it when you're 30, you still have memories of being young. Like people try it now, they don't they're never going to have a memory of being happy ever. Right. Um, it's it's something that comes with it called anhedonia. And it, mm. it was just so hard, so hard to get off of it. Mm-hmm. So, I was at this point I'm I went to a treatment center. Called Pomero. It's it's in their whole thing in this because at this point I think it was my sixth treatment center. <clears throat> so it's and their tagline is for the reluctant to recover. <laughs> I know. Really, it's for if you've tried a bunch and it's not working, send yeah. them here. It's a six to nine month place. Yeah. In Ramona, which is in San Diego County, literally the middle of nowhere. Um, reluctant to recover. Reluctant to, it's to like recover. Like for those who yeah. are
1: hella far down that road. Yeah, exactly. It's like, wait, we can't <laughs> exactly. even see anymore. If I come back.
0: Exactly, exactly. Because I remember my friend who, who first gave it to me saying, you can see the exit light, run for it. And I was like, you have no idea how much I don't see an exit line mm-hmm. right now, yeah. Right. I mean, I remember that moment where I might have seen the exit sign, but
1: Something it was else a distinct Something flashy moment. was over here. It was yeah. like,
0: I, but I was, I was sick, mm-hmm. and I knew, you know I was dope sick, and I knew that if I continued it would get worse. But just the feeling. That feeling is so awful, the cravings are so awful, that I just went, am I going to pick life or am I going to pick this?
1: So you and I s- chose that. You had some awareness. Oh, yeah. A downward uh-huh.
0: and, and Yeah, and, it, and I literally, it's like I looked at it, I looked in this fiery furnace of hell and I went, fuck it. That's how I feel about my addiction,
1: yeah. is
0: I constantly chose to die, all the time. I'm just not a quitter <laughs> when it comes to bad stuff. Right, right. <laughs> you know I mean, I love bad stuff. Yeah, I do. I mean, I got into Billy Holiday when I was like 13 years old mm-hmm. or 12, and I remember asking my dad all these questions. And my—that's one thing about my dad is always very honest with me. He was like, "She was heroin addict, heroin addict, I'm like so me." And then now. I was like, "What does that do?" And then he told me. Mm-hmm. And then he told me the whole story about her and how the end, and you know, she was doing it in her eyeballs because yeah. she kept getting arrested and they would look for marks, and how it killed her. And, um, you know, I was like, "No, to self, don't do that. But still, I listened to her music, and whatever this haunting thing was just drawing me into it, I just wanted to go back in time. I always had this back-in-time thing. I wanted to go back to the 40s. Like I was really into swing music and jazz and stuff and punk. Those were my sections at Tower Records, jazz and punk, cassettes. Perfect. <laughs> um, but so anyway, I went I to went the rehab. I spent nine months in there. During that, that my parents took that exact opportunity to get the fuck out of L.A., and there's nothing that I could was do it. about it. Okay. There's nothing I could do about it. I couldn't yell. I couldn't scream. I wasn't there. Uh, it wasn't one of those rehabs where you get, like, your phone and a computer and you get to call people. You don't get phone. You don't talk on the phone ever. More like jail, kind of. It was very much like jail, yeah. yes. Um, and we had a lot of fun. I didn't take it seriously, honestly. Okay. I mean, I did, but it was like, ugh, when do I get out of here? I just want my stuff back. That's why right. I went to rehab. All those times when I was, you know, in my early twenties, I just wanted my stuff back, Hmm. wanted my parents to like me again. I wanted to not feel like a pariah, and I wanted my car, and then I wanted to go out with who I wanted to go out with and just hang. Um, I certainly did not want to work a twelve-step program. So um, my parents moved, and I was now yeah they moved up they moved to Sonoma. Okay. Um, they looked at Marin, they looked at a bunch of places, they found some like place in Sonoma that was just pure. Sonoma is kind of a magical place, I love mm-hmm. Sonoma. Mm-hmm. So, they moved up to Sonoma, and I got into that treatment center and it was just, I, I mean, I ended up back in another one. It was just, the whole thing was very hard, I felt very orphaned. It, we're in this town called Ramona. You can't do anything. Like, I'm a creative person. Right. They're the only place we, we could work, and we were forced to work there after we got out, was Kmart. Ooh. I worked at a Super K. Yikes. Wore a vest. Yikes. You know, like, yeah. it, and it, but you know what? I managed to have fun there. Because mm-hmm. that's me. I, like, I try to bring the fun. And people, you know, in retail don't like that. Your bosses. I'm like, so I don't work in retail. It's just not my thing. You know what right. I mean? I'm here to bring the party. Yeah. yeah. I'm here to laugh. <laughs> so, I ended up going back. Started driving back to LA again, doing my old thing. Driving back to LA. At this point, I could cop really easily. Mm-hmm. So I'm driving back and forth, and um, you know, I, at this point, I had a ton of dealers, and like I had gotten really bad. At this point, I was shooting cocaine with the heroin, which is a speedball, mm-hmm. uh, and I was smoking crack.
1: Doing Mostly all. all down there, or any here. Well, this is
0: before I got brought up here, so I mean I was like strung out and one of the people from the rehab I was in saw me and Called my parents and was like if you don't come get your daughter. She's gonna come home in a body bag and My dad showed up and there I am just I mean and every time I will come visit them and come up to Sonoma I'd be kicking you know like one time I was in a wheelchair because I'd blown all the veins in my foot out and I couldn't walk on my foot and I mean, yeah, I was a mess. I mean, like I have this scar up the up uh, oh, yeah. the right side of my neck where my jugular used to be. Hmm. Like that was my favorite vein, and I ruined it. And now I have like now I have a reminder of it every time I look in the mirror. Yeah, of the fact that I almost shot up in my face, and I didn't care. You got close because to Because the Billy drugs Holiday. owned me. Right. I yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. Uh, I was just such a slave to that <laughs> drug. <laughs> And so my parents took me up here, and I'm like, I'm not living in Sonoma. You know, you would not go from LA to Sonoma. My parents, they were different people. They didn't want to go get the mail because I had to go to the bottom of the driveway. They were so, I mean, to me, I'm like, you guys become lame. But no, they became happy. They right. became very serene, right. and they loved it. You know, and like, you know, we they go to this, they come to the city and have lunch, and you know, my dad loved San Francisco, mm-hmm. it's his town. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the Doobie Brothers are a San Francisco band. Like that's their logo. It's like your tattoo. Yeah, the bridge. <laughs> but so, like, I I, I started um, going back and forth, and then and then finally I found my thing in San Francisco. Which um, was which I found the heroin. Congrats. You know, what I mean, because I mean, that's really it's not like it, you're exposed to it everywhere. It's some part of me is looking. Mm-hmm. So I found that in San Francisco, and I hit an all new bottom because now I'm homeless. I'm in the mission. Um, was this is
1: two thousands now. This is
0: the two thousands now. Yeah, cool. I was in and out of like staying with people, being homeless, dating this guy who lived in Sacramento. I'd go like stay with him. I mean, he was literally a hostage. You know what I mean? Right. Everybody I dated during that time was a hostage. Yeah, you know? yeah, uh, and a place for me to sleep. So, you know, it just got to the point where I was literally homeless. I had been sexually assaulted. I had blown out all my veins. And I was sleeping on like cardboard under this shopping cart with a blanket under it with this girl who didn't have a family. Looking at myself going I have people That I'm ruining right now Like mm. I'm killing people I have this beautiful family Who loves me And I'm killing them And I'm trying to kill myself And it's not working Because I tried mm. to OD All the time Right Everybody would You know In my mind When we hear Oh so and so od They're gone My first thought was Lucky Lucky they because that's what I wanted. I didn't want to be here anymore. I right. just didn't feel like I belonged.
1: Because living was living being sucked. A slave. Living was being a slave to
0: a drug. Yeah. yeah. It's the thinking and and all all it was was how do I use? How do I get more? How am I gonna get high? How am I not gonna be sick? How am I gonna get the money? <laughs> you know what awful stuff am I gonna have to do to get money? You know, I was selling myself on the streets. Mm. So there's one day uh, I just went and I called my dad. I made this decision. I said, okay, look, I'll do it. I'll give it a year. And every time my parents phone rang at this point they thought it was going to be hi this is the cops can medical you come identify e- your daughter
1: medical examiner that yeah. Kind of thing yeah but you, you you made that call you were living in the mission homeless
0: yes homeless and, and i just said call. come get me okay um and my dad came and got me and he brought me up to sonoma and i detoxed and I found a place, and after all the money we had spent on treatment, which I would really like back now to do good things with, <laughs> I went to this place called uh, Women's Recovery Association in okay. Burlingame.
1: Okay.
0: Because all the places I looked at in San Francisco, the waiting list was like, I'll be dead. Right. I'll be dead in three months. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. three months, I will be dead. Okay. Um, or just way so much worse that I'm not going to want to, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um I got, I got into this place in Burlingame really quickly. I didn't know where Burlingame was or San Mateo or, you know, like right. I didn't know what was between here in L.A., really. I hear you. Not I that still, that's I'm, anywhere near I'm L.A. I'm a little
1: unsure, but yeah. I know,
0: right? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, so uh, I went through that place. I spent a year in there. I did six months. And my, and my thing when I went in there was like, okay, I'll give this a year. If it's not awesome, if life isn't rad... I'm going back. Hmm. And I know when I go back, it'll take me out right away. Because mm-hmm. my tolerance will have gone back down. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't say that to my family, but that was what was happening. The mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I went um, I went into the treatment center and life got great. I I mean the fact that I did not have any diseases. Mm-hmm. I because I mean I was going to needle exchanges and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, but still, I was with people who I mean had everything. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it just the yeah, fact it's like that, a little
1: Petri dish. Oh yeah, oh God, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, yeah.
0: Right, I mean just like the fact that we're using the same spoon, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. so much stuff mm-hmm. is in there. Mm-hmm. So I felt like the fact that I didn't get anything, I owed it to life. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm sick of, I don't want to be here and take up space. I want to be here and be of service to other people. And if I can't do that, then just kill me. So, I spent six months in patient, and then I spent six months in a sober living. Mm-hmm. And I put myself through broadcasting school. Okay, where? So, yeah, uh, at mm-hmm. College of, not San Mateo. Yes, College of San Mateo. College of San Mateo. College yes. of San Mateo. Yes. Good school, I,
1: great radio station.
0: Yes, yeah, because I love jazz, jazz. Love Barry's jazz, jazz Station. Jazz. That was my first gig. Awesome. So yeah, I started, you know, I learned to edit, learned to cut and splice tape, which P.S. is something I have never done in my in 20 years in radio,
1: ever. Actual tape? Ever. Yeah. Back in the day? Yeah, okay. yeah real, yeah. real. I,
0: I can do that Rad. if someone needs it done. <laughs> <Yeah. Rad. laughs> but who needs that? You know?
1: Can I ask real quick, sure. um, what was, like, how did you decide on broadcasting?
0: Because radio, I was like, well, who, who am I? What do I do? I'm a DJ. I love music. And I'm a talker. And I can do radio commercials you know and I like have this really eclectic crazy taste in music mm-hmm. I didn't know till later that that's not what radio is it's a corporate <laughs> playlist you know but it doesn't matter it, yeah, got it, doesn't, it doesn't matter it yeah. doesn't matter uh, I immediately started working on the radio station and then they I mean I loved my guy I, I worked overnights you know like it was very hard but I loved it it was so much fun and I loved the music um, and one day the program director was like, look, Dana, I love you. And I know you want a career in radio, but I'm just going to be honest with you. Your voice is not jazz. And I'm like, but, and she's like, your voice is active rock. And I'm like, but I don't know one fucking
1: Godsmack song.
0: Like, what does this right. mean? I right. have to go play ACDC. Like, what does that yeah. mean? And you I, never, and you,
1: you never thought, did I do too little heroin or too much?
0: I, yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> what did that? You know, like, I know, right. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so I went and I started. I sent my demo of my, uh, you know, of me being a, a DJ on that station, as long as well as my commercial voiceover demo mm-hmm. to uh, Clear Channel. So I, it was K Fox, KSJO, and Channel 1049. I don't know how they're the ones who got my demo first, but they mm-hmm. did. And um, so KSJO was like a, was like a 30 year old Bay Area radio station before they killed it. Mm-hmm. And Channel 1049 was an alter, alternative station. Mm-hmm. And uh, K-Fox was the classic rock station. Mm-hmm. So I started out as an overnight board op, and then I was doing programming and imaging and board oping. and I was on K-Fox. I would co- co-produce the Greg Kinn show and be on there with him sometimes. Um, I had my own show on Channel 104.9 on the ALT station, and I did um, an afternoon show with Zach Tyler, who's now Afternoons on the Bone here in San Francisco. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and your DJ name was always just Dana always or just just Dana I, Yeah, I've never said Dana, just Dana. Keys. Dana. Just Dana.
0: I don't think. No, I said Dana Keys on the jazz station.
1: Oh right. Oh. I'm Dana Keys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, but, but yeah, like everyone loves just Dana.
1: Also thank you for um, situating us when you were time at these stations by their call letters, because we all know they have changed all so much yes. over even just the last five years.
0: Exactly. Like, exactly. Like KSJ was ninety two point three. I think that's now La Raza or something. I think and then uh Channel 1049 was Channel four nine, and K Fox was 98.5, and they okay. still are. Okay. Um,
1: but, like, you know, like, um, n- not just the call letters, but also formatting and.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. So, I mean. Everything's. Changed. Yeah. Every. Yes. I don't know. But and it or was died. great. Hmm?
1: And or died.
0: Exactly. Or pulled out. Or, yeah, yeah, totally. Either it's fuzz or a completely different format.
1: Mm-hmm. So, um, you took to the. Um, I loved like the, it. The I loved it. The not it. jazz work. My
0: life was so good. Um, I had about three years clean and sober. I was living my best life. Um, you know, I was very much in recovery. And mm-hmm. so um, I started dating a, a guy from a band. It was one of the artists that we were playing on Channel 104.9. But so we started dating... I kind of quit going to meetings, got out of my recovery scene, and then I had a minor surgery and um, was given, I guess they maybe gave me fentanyl before they put me, or something when they put me to sleep, Mm -hmm. but as I was leaving, they were like, let's just give you the rest of this fentanyl. Mm -hmm. What am I (laughs) going to say, no? Yeah, now I would. (laughs) Now I would. Right. If only I could go back. Yeah. So basically, what happened was there was this beast that had been asleep for three years that woke up and went, "Oh hi, hello, yeah," and I was like, "Oh my god, and I can like go fla- back to not feeling this." It's like a new flavor of candy, mm. right? Well, no, it's the it was, It's, it's very s- heroin esque. Oh, okay. If that's a word. <laughs> it <laughs> oh, is yeah. now. Yeah, it is. It's heroiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then they also gave me. Uh, Vicodin, which was stupid. I'm like, dude, when your hair went out trying here, Vicodin. Like, it literally would do nothing to me. But I didn't throw it away. I put it in the back of my medicine cabinet. Maybe I'm going to have a bad cramp one day, mm-hmm. or the pain of life. And so I didn't get rid of it. I lost all of my sense of recovery. I quit going to meetings. Um, and then my dad died. And it, this was very sudden. He had polio when he was four. Mm-hmm. And No one knew this until like a year after he died. No one who has that kind of polio lives to be 60. Okay, so he was 54 he died or 55. of 55 Polio he died because his organs just started shutting down. he would yeah. get walking pneumonia every month Yikes. and they couldn't figure out What was wrong like his epiglottis wasn't functioning and he had to get a trach And he was just like everything just started to shut down and it was just really sad and it was really sudden and at that moment I I remember feeling like, okay, that deal I made with the universe, they just broke it. It's been broken, so fuck it. And I remember looking at everyone, toasting. to My dad died sober, uh, which is the irony and the sad part. And uh, everybody, the night that he died, was toasting to his life. Hmm. And I looked at my boyfriend at the time, and I went, you go to the bar, you get me a double dirty martini, you put it by the girls' room, and leave it there. And he was like, oh, that's okay, right, because you were just a heroin addict. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's totally fine, totally fine. It's even in the book. It's written everywhere. It's in the Bible. That that's a thing. Totally. Just go get it. Right. He was a great codependent. So, um, so I went down to... That was it. And I was off to the races. And I literally... I mean, but I was able to... I mean, for the first couple years, if you didn't know me, you wouldn't know. But if you knew me, you'd be like, what are you doing? Specifically, why are you drunk right now? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And so I ended up getting poached I sent my stuff to. I wanted to work at Live 105 um, or I wanted to work at K-Rock honestly like I sent my stuff to K-Rock in LA he sent my stuff to Sean Demery again rest in peace who's the program director here at Live 105 and he and John Peake who was the program director at Alice called me in and they were like, okay, you can do, you know, Sean Demery was like, you can do a little, you know, you can do a music shift on my station. But the thing is, my friend John here wants you to do an afternoon talk show. And I'm like, yes, because that's what I do best is when I'm talking to other people mm-hmm. and how fun. And even though, like, I hated their music, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so they brought me in to do that, but they could never find my partner. They tried out people and, like, it wasn't working. There was always
1: the Dana and... I, and, they,
0: well, and then they were and the program director was like, I don't want you to get cold feet and I want you to know this is going to happen. So can I just bring you in right now and give you a full-time you know music mm-hmm. shift? So I was the night job from seven to midnight Monday through Friday. And I was okay. like, okay. And he got fired and then there weren't that whole thing. Oh. Now I'm stuck at nights. So we got a new program director um, she gave me a contract which was great. I was union. I was a ra- a union radio jock with a contract. What am I going to I can't complain. I mean, you can complain about Maroon 5 actually. Is the yeah. thing, you can. But you know I wasn't. <laughs> so yeah, so when they called, that night, No Name um, came and met us because he was on board with this whole talk show thing and him and Maddie and the guy Maddie who we, Stout. Maddie Stout, and then the guy called Whipping Boy, who we thought was going to be my, my partner, mm-hmm. but they ended up not being able to insure him because Howard Stern publicly fired him in New York. <laughs> so, him and producer Shar, and that's where I met her. We all hung out one night, we're drinking at the Crowbar. Again, oh, rest in peace. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> God, I lost so many brain cells there. I yeah. love that place. Um, and then I ended up at Alice for about five years I think maybe six no five years
1: still drinking and using
0: uh, well I had not started no, using no. yet oh, okay I was just drinking okay and then it was working being seven to midnight live is depressing my boyfriend was in a band he would travel I'd be alone mm-hmm. it was real and alone at a time when nobody's awake but I gotta be up when I go to work. I can't get up at six a.m. You know, I'll be dead at ten. Mm-hmm. So, so I was drinking heavier and heavier, mm-hmm. and then I acquired a stalker, mm-hmm. who was a sixty-two-year-old retired police officer from Oakland, who thought I was talking to him through music. Oh boy! <laughs> it Buckle was heavy because my boundaries are bad. I sensed a sadness in him, and just wasn't able to go. Don't you ever call me and hang up. Right. It's hard for me to be mean to people. Like, I don't like to hurt people's feelings. Right. Um, and I felt bad for him, but then it got to the point where he was calling the station 24 hours a day and telling whoever was on air that they needed to give the angel a message. I'm the angel, the angel a message. And then he would say things like, you're an angel and you belong in heaven. Oh my. Yeah, God. I know. Jesus. I know. And then scary things like sending me baby clothes oh. and then showing up at events and looking for me and you know, being very aggressive with the other DJs and the staff, which scared, everybody was so scared. So my work ended up making me file a restraining order, which I didn't want to do. So I'm walking along with this like Beowulf-sized restraining order book. Just a nightmare. I mean, I wasn't even... like I was drinking, but not drinking drugs, because I was... And I was emaciated because my nerves. I was like, <gasps> just such a nervous wreck. Because everywhere I went, I was afraid to talk. Because he knew what I looked like, and he could hear me and know my voice.
1: And you didn't know what he no looked way. like at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. hmm Yeah. So you had that, and you had your your... How recent, or how long after your dad passed away was this? About a year, so not, two years. Yeah, yeah. Lost my cat. Just everything fell
0: apart. Oh God, yeah. yeah. But I never grieved properly. Mm. You know, I never dealt with. Well. I started is drinking. There, is there a proper? When you're, well, there's an improper way, there's and that's unhealthy. what I did. It's unhealthy. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're sober, do not start drinking to grieve. Let me just tell you, right. it it's so hard, yeah. so hard to come back, and it makes the whole thing last longer, right. and it's harder. Then one night I went out, and it was yacht rock night, and I'm like, this is a thing. People do this is so funny. Right. I can go listen to my dad. You yeah. know what I mean? Like right. this is so funny. And I went to the bathroom one night, and my friend had told like this guy bumped into me and spilled my drink, and I was so mad. And my friend who was with me goes, "Look at his shirt to add insult to injury." I could talk for a living. He was wearing, and he's wearing a Doobies, and it was a Doobie seventy-seven shirt. So, oh, okay. so I was like, ugh. So I went to the bathroom. By the time I came out, the guy was waiting for me. Like, so, and, and there was a table full of drinks and, a, and and a little thing of coke, and I was like, oh hey i like free stuff (laughs) you know
1: hey old friend and it was
0: off and running um and it got to the point where i was having to do that every day in order to function because that's how i am and um that's the lesson that i keep for some reason in my life have gone back and forth and i keep testing it's like this fire pit that i keep sticking my hand in to see if it still hurts it's like it does and it gets worse it gets so much worse with age so I was doing all sorts of, you know, pills and drugs. Taking pills to calm down, taking coke to wake up, and uh, you know, drinking. And i you still was, with the drummer guy? Yeah. Okay. And I was so depressed. And then after a certain point, I got this. We got this boss. Uh, he was a lower boss. He wasn't like the boss boss or the program director, who absolutely hated me. And I can understand why, because I wasn't a great person to be, you know, to, as an employee. Mm-hmm. But I'm also still a good person. And mm-hmm. I was a cracked, broken, open person. And he kind of tortured me. Like, would sit at work till 1 a.m. when I was there working, just watching me. Um, would call me on the hotline when he was out with our boss boss, talking badly about me. Would leave emails open, open on, the de- on the desktop oh, okay. about replacing me. Right. And I had to live with it. Yeah. And it sucked, and I was miserable. And, uh, I mean, I just, I was drinking myself to death at that point. I ended up getting fired. I was and gonna
1: say, he was probably trying to drive you out. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're like, fuck this guy.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so then I'm at home, you know, I brought all my stuff back and I was like, okay, this is it. I'm throwing in the towel, the life towel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for the next like year, I think my boyfriend only stayed with me for a year, um, he because he wasn't in it for that <laughs> you know what I mean and I get it as much as I resent him because he also broke up with me in a text oh, I would have murdered him if he hadn't but I mean you know he broke out with me in a text mm-hmm. after you know almost six years and I was just devastated and um, at that point I was like okay this is just the you know what I'm, I'm throwing in the towel I want to die and I was they were doing welfare checks on me constantly so the, I'm always having the cops at my house, and I'm just sitting there going, no, yeah, no, I'm not going to kill myself. You know, and in my mind, to deal, and you're not going to know when I am.
1: Like just to get rid of them idiot. kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, and i was yeah. just like,
0: yeah, I'm not driving, so what do you want from me? I'm just a miserable, drunk asshole. And they ended up uh, throwing me in rehab. It was, I believe, my 15th.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and that was the last one. And when,
1: so when was that?
0: That was 2010. And it was only 28 days. They had nothing to teach me. They told me I was going there to detox. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, I do not need another rehab. Like, I could teach. You know? Oh, my God. Are you kidding? Uh, You know, so I just used it to dry out. I needed to dry out. I was swollen and awful. And as much as I thought I was an alcoholic, boy, did I become Janice Joplin. You know what I mean? Like, wow. So I was just swollen and bloated and miserable. And I needed to detox. And I hadn't felt... I hadn't been sober in years mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. So I went, I dried out, and then, you know, and then I, I came back to the pain of life. And I just didn't want to live, really, because I was so depressed. Mm-hmm. So I started slightly getting back into this stuff. But I'm like, I just won't... Because at that point, I was drinking a gallon, and that was how much I drank a day. It was the handle. Mm-hmm. And at the end, I was done with the handle before the next 24 hours were up. So at 6 a.m., when I would go to Safeway every day, I was sweating, mm-hmm. like, to get it. Mm-hmm. And so... um at that point, I just was like, "Okay, forget this. This is terrible." Um, I met a guy. We were like kind of seeing each other, but we were both like unemployed and in a bad way, and we were drinking, partying. And then he was like, "Okay, I don't want to live like this anymore." And I was like, "What? Why?" Why? <laughs> and now I have a partner, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but this is all I want. Um, so I I knew I wanted to not live, and I spent two weeks writing. Uh, goodbye letters, Mm -hmm. suicide letters basically to anyone I knew. Like, If if somebody knows me, they had a letter. Even Mm -hmm. if they're like why would she write one to me? I just wanted to let everybody know there's nothing they could have done. Um, I just wanted to absolve everyone of any guilt they might have and let them know that I just really didn't want to be here and I felt like I didn't deserve to be here, that I was taking up space, that all I did was make my family miserable and I'm just awful.
1: Not a suicide note, but notes personal personalized. personalized yes because right.
0: okay. I, I don't want to be impersonal you know like I was gonna make it better somehow in my mind that made it more okay you're being, you're being considerate yeah on yeah, your way out. yeah. Okay. yes exactly on the way out and so it took me about 15 minutes it had been um, at that point 11 years since I'd done heroin mm-hmm. and I went down to the mission I got some I got the rigs I got everything I went back home All of this was done in like 15 minutes. And you are by yourself. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, it's just ingrained in me. Mm -hmm. That whole street behavior, the mentality, everything is ingrained in me. Mm -hmm. I know how to walk and talk when I'm out there. Like, I'm a different person. And and I got home, and it's like, I didn't take into consideration that even though I hadn't done heroin in 11 years, that I had been doing tons of morphine pills and tons Mm -hmm. of drugs. Mm -hmm. So it didn't work. (laughs) Mm -hmm, It didn't work. I didn't die. And I got that feeling again. Mm -hmm. So I used for six months until I was like... What am I remember how that I can't do this. Come on. So then I got on methadone, turned me into a zombie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just like this person at the methadone clinic, still drinking and smoking crack. It was like, who was I? Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, um, I got on suboxone. And I'm in a relationship with this guy at this point, so I got Mm -hmm. on Suboxone, which is like similar, it's not similar to methadone, but it's an opiate blocker. It's another, right. Yeah, it's something like that, uh, that keeps you from having withdrawals. Mm -hmm. And I was on that for like a few years. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, one day, this is how it ended, is I drove my, my boyfriend's car to Oakland, where my crack dealer was. And I got myself, you know, like a, I don't know how, like, 25 ounces of vodka. I don't know. How big is that? It it was 750 milliliters. Oh, yes. Okay, there you go. A liter. liter. So I got myself a liter of vodka like I did. I didn't mix it at the end at all. I was just drinking, and I mean bottom shelf shit. Like, it was not, you know, like peach flavored. I don't remember who made that, but Smirnoff, I think it was. But by the very end, it was Taka and Real Gate and whatever is literally on the shelf next to the floor. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, $6 for a gallon. That's what I was doing. I showed up in Oakland drunk and I went, I, and I went. I can't do this. Like I felt like my dad was trying to talk to me and going, you know what to do, what are you doing? And I felt like I couldn't drown his voice out anymore mm-hmm. and I went to a payphone, And I ended up calling the cops on myself mm-hmm. and I said, if somebody doesn't come help me, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And they came and got me and I was in the car with the motor running and they, I don't know how I didn't get arrested because there's the vodka, my shoes are off. And they put down the window, and they said, "Do you want help?" And it's maybe because of the way I answered. I went, "Yes, mm-hmm. I need help." Mm-hmm. And then they took me to a hospital in Oakland, where they detoxed me for like twelve hours, pumped me full of fluids. They were like, "You've got liver damage. Mm-hmm. You need to, you need help." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "I am. I just got to get home, you know, and deal with this." Um, but what I really needed was for my boyfriend to kick me out of the house, mm-hmm. uh, because after that, on my way home, I stopped and got some crack and a bottle. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then finally when I got back home, he kicked me out and I finally went to this hospital and, oh, I guess that was my last attempt. So that was my hospital in San Jose. I went to Good Samaritan. I met a doctor who had 32 years sober and he's an addiction specialist and I detoxed there for a week. And when I got out, I was waiting on my mom to pick me up and a drink. And the reason I'd like to tell people that is because without a program of recovery, I'm going to drink. Like, if I'm not working my steps, if I'm not doing all the steps and helping others and doing everything you're supposed to do with recovery, then I'm going to drink. So it wasn't like... So
1: the steps that you earlier had... Yeah, the steps that I had no
0: interest in. You know, I came back with my tail between my legs and I was like, I will do
1: whatever
0: you want me
1: to. your addict ancestors... Knew something.
0: I guess. All my alcoholic answers, yeah, they knew something. All the people with, like my sponsor who has 30 years of sobriety, they must know something because they look so goddamn happy. And they are happy. They're genuinely happy. (laughs) They like to make other people happy. You know, and they're not like miserable. Like it says in our literature, we are not a glum lot. And when I was a mm-hmm. kid, that's how what I was thought. Like, oh, you're an AA, you're gonna be miserable. Or, oh, you quit doing the party stuff, you're gonna be miserable. But that was no party, what I was doing. Commiseration. Yes, Like yes. in a group. Right. Exactly. Right, right, right. But it's not, it's, it's the not opposite. That. It's pure unbridled joy. Mm-hmm. So I got, I got uh, sober up there, and then I started, I realized, because I was thinking at the end when I was living in the shooting gallery in the mission, mm-hmm. I was remembering, you know what, if I could come from the type of life I came from, Mm -hmm. to here, and the fact that I'm okay with it, if I live through this, I'm gonna share this story with everybody. Mm. And I wish that there were cameras following me. Um, And so at about two months sober, I started my podcast called Radio Rehab. And that's where I have other addicts and alcoholics on, and we just share our story. And the whole point is to help other people. And my favorite thing is when I get emails from Saudi Arabia you know, and I get, see that, or I see that there's listeners in Saudi Arabia, and, and I get emails from people going, "I can't get to meetings." Thank you, mm. like thank you for being my meeting today, or, awesome. or or thank you for helping me, or you just gave me insight into why my son died. Wow. Oh yes, it's like that's why I do it. Yeah, that's when, why I do it.
1: When did you start radio rehab?
0: Well, I got sober September 17th, 2015. It's my sobriety date. Oh, actually, I had, I had I had, and then I think. November's yeah. November's when I started Radio Rehab November of 15. 2015.
1: So four and a half.
0: Yeah. Years. So Radio Rehab is going to be five this year.
1: Awesome! Congratulations! Yeah. And the whole time has been with producer Shar, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. The yeah. whole time has
0: been with producer Shar. Yeah. Um,
1: Go to production. We're like radio.
0: Yeah. Go to productions. We're like radio. I don't know. <laughs> She's my radio wife in a way. Like yeah. I mean, we like have a radio marriage. Yeah. Basically, but yeah. So I, for, when I first started doing it with her when I was first trying to get sober. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to show people the struggle, and we were doing it with Breathe Radio. Oh. And of course, you can't struggle if you're struggling, because I'm gonna lean into the struggle more than right. I'm gonna lean into the showing up to record. Right. So it kind of fell apart. So um, it wasn't until I was completely you know, drug and alcohol free that I was able to do radio rehab and carry the message. And it's like I was interviewed um, the author and the subject a Beautiful Boy, and I was talking to them about how like, do you ever feel bad? Because I feel like my podcast makes me almost unemployable, hmm. <laughs> you know? Like, do, do you suffer right. any drawback? But, it, like, the love we get, like, just hearing that you helped somebody, hearing, if just hearing I helped one person is enough to carry me for a year. And during this whole time, I, I uh, sent my stuff into KFOG and started doing radio again. So I had to do KFOG. I started out doing nights on KFOG and weekends, and then I was doing middays, which is 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. on KFOG and then they came in and they turned it into a sports
1: station <laughs> and where so where are you sports. Where now in the now I'm
0: on The Bone you can find me on 1077 The Bone I'm on The Bone on weekends and I'm also their weekday fill-in person when somebody needs me and I do Monday through Friday middays for a station in Visalia called 99.7 Classic Rock okay but I don't go there or live there I'm just on air there got it
1: and I just I just realized with Radio Rehab you got your talk show
0: Got my talk show. I have my talk show. I'm doing my music talking, and yeah, like oh, and I'm I'm doing voiceovers again. Awesome. And yeah, I'm I'm, things are things are really good. It's like yeah, this is, this is, but this is the same amount of you know a little bit more, but almost the same amount of sobriety I had when I went out 15 years ago. You know, so it's like. I have to really be on my game now. Because like, mm-hmm. I, I feel thoughts. like I don't need to go to a meeting tonight. I get those thoughts all the time. All and the it's night. like, that's the disease. Right. Like There's something in me that wants to kill me.
1: So where can people find you?
0: You can find me on iTunes. Yes, iTunes. Radio Rehab with Dana Keys. D-A-Y-N-A-K-E-Y-E-S. On iTunes and Simplecast wherever you get podcasts um, on Instagram and uh, Twitter and all the socials I'm at Radio Rehab Dana
1: that was Dana Keys. join us next week when we'll hear from Balboa theater owner Adam Bertram music for story San Francisco is by Otis McDonald film photography is by Michelle Kilfeather the show is hosted and produced by me Jeff Hunt Our website is storiedsf.com, where you can browse more than 100 episodes, check out all of our live events, and visit our store to help support us. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. If that's Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do us a favor and rate and review what we do. And if you have any feedback for us or suggested guests, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.